0: Memories, 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 this amazing building. Um, we've had a good time in Canada. It's 21 years ago we came to plant this church here with our family. We started in our basement with uh, Deborah and my three kids, and uh, now I have five grandkids born into this church. And my eldest son, just to give you an, an idea of how long we've been here and how old I am, he was 37 when I uh, was uh, 17 when we arrived, <laughs> and he's 38 now, so they've all grown up, and uh, amazing times, you know, when we moved into this building, it was a kind of last resort, Jingle Pot was a darker place than this, and, um, and, uh, but we soon felt in God that this is where we needed to be, to come and partner with the school, to help the school, so we built the bu- bought the building across the road, and so we've been involved uh, with the, ch- the school for 14 years now and can't wait to, to move into that new facility. Uh, this uh, facility will actually be knocked down completely so because it's too close to the other one. But uh, that's also so that you don't hanker after the past. I don't want you to want to come back here. We're moving on. So, but uh, thank you so much. Um, And um, God has been faithful to us. You know, um, I go to places in the world, some very poor places. I have been um, not as much now as I used to, but in Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, Haiti, and places like that. And um, they would give anything to have a building like this. And we've uh, been warm. We've not had, had rained on and all of that. And we must never forget um, with gratitude what God has done for us and how He's blessed us and He continues to do that. So as the last service in this faithful gym, um, I just want to finish this little series that we've been doing and I'll I'll get going on it. Um, And we have been looking over the last few weeks at the relationship between faith and deeds and living an authentic Christian life a lifestyle that brings glory to God, that the way we as Christians conduct ourselves at work, at home, and play has an eternal impact on those around us. You know, often people, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, when I, I meet them, I try not to tell them I'm a pastor for as long as possible because I want to get to know them, and sometimes it's like putting oil in water, it just uh, separates very quickly, and um, and just to get to know them. But when we do, and I, we start a relationship, try and build a relationship, and I ask them the questions, because as a pastor, I want to know what's going on in the city and in their heads, and uh, met with, with addicts right through to multimillionaires in the city. And um, the majority of them, I'd say, when you would start off uh, bagging on Jesus, but when you speak to them, you actually find that it's not Jesus that they have a problem with when you tell them what Jesus has done. It's the church and how the church has represented Jesus from the first nations right through. We cannot do anything about our past, but we can do a lot about the future. And we can represent God well in the city and in the nation and in the nations of the world. You see, there's no future in our past. We need to break those rear view mirrors of, of, of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, often through hurt and often through leaders, we need to break the power of those because we, church, have a glorious future. And I'm not even talking about our future here on earth, but our future in, in, in heaven. We spoke about that last week of uh, the privilege of being a co-heir with Christ and an heir of God. So if you'd like to know where we're going, it would be really good for you to go back a few weeks They're online. Um, if you've got time, fast forward them if you're getting bored. But um, just to get an idea of where, where we are. And I felt, God, that in this season is a transition. A transition for us, often like this happens, says first the natural, the Bible says, and then the spiritual. And I believe that we are going into a new season, physically and spiritually, Uh, and that God is moving us from a cruise ship mentality, which is really great. I love cruise ships and all of that. And we don't want to lose that community spirit that we have in here. Uh, So it's not one or the other, but it's moving into a battleship mentality, that God has a plan and a purpose for this church to go into this world to make disciples of all men, to preach the gospel, and as I said, um, on a cruise ship, and I've been on a few, you sit on the top deck, in your deck chair, and the captain comes past, it's really cool, and he asks you, how are you doing, and you've got a, a drink in your hand with a a, a, a umbrella in it, non-alcoholic, eh? And... and He's very happy to see you there. It's amazing. Stop there. How are you doing? All of it. If you're happy, he's even more happier. But if you sat like that on the deck of a battleship and the captain came past, there would be a different response. And I think that God is has an expectation. And that battleship has to do with advancement of the kingdom. This is the place where we gather, we, we get healed, uh, we get trained and equipped but we need to transition as a church and as individuals uh, into um, sharing what, um, doing what God's called us to do. Not that what we have done is wrong. It's just the next season without losing the season we have because we know seasons come in cycles, and seasons come and seasons go, and they come again. And we started this by looking at a prophetic word, Given to Felicity Pooley, and I've just shortened it down to one of the things, a few things I'd like to chat about. She said this: I felt spiritually that there's a shift in the heavens. That's what started this a few years ago, a few few months ago. I want to tell you: if God gives you a prophetic word, a directional prophetic word for the church, it's normally not helpful if you bring it here up here because it's hard for us to remember and understand in that. But send it to me. I read them all, and I pray into them. I don't care if it's one line or a few pages because I want to hear what God is saying through the priesthood of all believers. So I encourage you with that, and this is what some of the people do. Even when I travel overseas, I was in Australia last year, and we were in a, Wesley was there, and we were in a, in a very intense situation. One of the most intense that I've been on, on a trip Overseas, and I received a prophetic word from here, just also a short word, and it gave us the strategy. So we are a team. Amen? Amen. Amen. That the gates of the city of Nanaimo have opened wider to our King and the kingdom. Wonderful that we're meeting down there. Invite your friends, it's going to be fun. And when we were praying for Oceanside's street ministry, I saw the spirit. in the Spirit the streets of Nanaimo were flown with gold. Gold is the emblem of the eternal deity and speaks of the immutability of God. It feels like there is a greater flow of the Spirit's power, anointing and equipping of believers for us to take hold of the fullness of Christ. She then quoted two scriptures from Zechariah 8, verse 9. First, this is what the Lord Almighty says, You who now hear these words spoken to by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Let your hands be strong so that you may build, uh, the, the, so that the temple may be built. She then went on to Zechariah 8.12, and we're going to um, look a little bit in more detail in Zechariah later on. And it says this, The seed will grow well, now, I want to see, show you here, Zechariah's name means Jehovah's remembered. Jehovah remembers, and we'll see that how that fits in. But not only that, he, next to Isaiah, in this short book, prophesied more about the coming of Jesus Christ than any other prophet. It's an amazing book. He had these visions, out-of-body experiences with God, and uh, God spoke to him through an angel in powerful ways. Yes, that's in the Bible. And, um, and the seed will grow well. We know that the seed is the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The vine will yield its fruit. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, and you are the branches. First of all, without me, can you can do not? You can do nothing. But that you need to be connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ and to the body. You, God never intended church to be done on our own at a TV in bed on Sunday mornings. That's for when you're sick. All right? <laughs> and please listen to these amazing speakers out there. But if you take a branch that Jesus says and cut it off the vine, what happens? It dies. And so when he's talking about the vine will yield its fruit, he's talking about us connected to Jesus Christ, I believe. And the ground will produce its crops, and the heaven will drop their juice. So I was reading this over and over and over, and um, I was thinking about that. You see, the seed has to go into good soil. Jesus talks about the parable of the different soils. The soil is The heart a hard heart or a soft heart. And we are to prepare the soil, and we do that through love and good deeds and representing Christ well. We open people's hearts. Even if they deny Christ and even if they don't like you, they cannot argue with the transformed life. It's impossible. And they know it. But as that... that Ground is prepared to produce a crop, which is us, and as the seed has sown, which is the gospel, the heavens drop their dew. The Holy Spirit begins to rain down the anointing on that seed. And so we can see a divine partnership here between God and man. It's awesome. I read that a hundred times maybe. And I will give these things as an inheritance to the rem- remnant of my people. But what caught my att- attention more than all of that was a sentence where Felicity says, As the church went into the city, the Holy Spirit began to manifest, manifest like lick with gold. It was not as the people came to the church, but as the church went to the city. Jesus didn't ask us to pray for sinners to come to church. He asked us to pray for harvesters to go into the harvest field. And so as we leave this place, we come here, we're equipped, encouraged, inspired, and charged up by the the Spirit of God, the Word of God, worshiping God by each other. But this is not it. This is the huddle. This is where we come to be inspired to go and do good deeds. Jesus said this, that your light will shine through your good deeds, not by what you say, but by what you do. And he says, and when people see those, they will begin to glorify our Father in heaven. Why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? Why are you visiting me in the old age home? Why are you cutting my lawn? Why are you uh, there for me? Why are you helping me uh, as a single mom with my kids? Why are you doing that? Because God loves you. We begin to sow seed. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, and you walk away, they might not even respond, but a seed is sown. And when a seed is sown, like I've said before, we don't dig it up every week to see if it's growing. It's not our responsibility to get people saved. Only God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do that. We couldn't even save ourselves. Amen? Amen. The enemy has made it so difficult. I don't know enough. I don't know. Well, do you know what? Contrary to popular belief, Mark Manfredi doesn't know it all either. (laughs) (laughs) You see, the church is to to, to go to the city. Yes, people walk in and it's a privilege. And when people walk in here, that's why this community is here. Can you imagine God draws people here? We don't even have to go anywhere. We can chill with a coffee. Reach out to them. Love them. Maybe have a coffee with them in the week. Pray with them. But this is not it. And that's what has happened to Christianity, not through the Word, but through the tra- traditions of man. we Christianity has become the greatest, has become the greatest Sunday spectator sport in the world. We sit in the bleachers and we watch a performance, and do you know what? Christians have been taught to do that. It's not your fault, but now it is your fault because you know. <laughs> Just come and pay your bucks and listen to us and do your thing. That's not the gospel. Come and get inspired. We want to plant churches, more churches. We want to have sites, uh, multi-sites with this church. We want to see the gospel go to all nations, and you're it, Amen. So two weeks ago, we looked at Joshua chapter six in the series, and the victory of Jericho, a victory achieved by both human and was that was both human and divine, by grace through faith, that victory that God gave them. The same. Grace that He has for us, He had for them. They didn't have the new covenant. But I want to show you that because grace is God's unearned favor. And this is what happened. We know it was by grace because before they even had a victory, before they had even taken on the city, God says, I'm going to give you a victory. He promised it in advance when they were sitting in their tents or fishing in the Jordan or whatever they were doing at that time, God said, that city, it's yours already. But it's going to take your faith combined with my blessing to make it come down. And you see how this works right through the Old Testament. You see, and He promised them a victory, not dependent on military might or power. The children of Israel had to have faith to believe that the walls would come down, not with battering rams or a military siege. Now, if God had said, that's what you've got to do, that would have been easier for them to believe because that's what they did. That's how they won those. Sometimes the siege would go two, three years. But he has a different plan. And the reason he has such an outrageously crazy plan is so that he will get the glory. That's why Gideon, go and read. He, Gideon has this army of 32,000. You can go and read. you see the grace of God in Gideon's life? He's arguing with God, telling him, it's your fault. God has grace. God has grace. Gideon finally gets it. He gets 32,000, but he is coming against an army of 135,000. So you think that God would have thought, well, 32,000, okay, you can, with my help, you can do it. He grows that 32,000 down from 32,000 to 300. Don't use as a church plant um, teaching. How do you grow a church backwards? 32,000 to 300, and they win the battle. Why? So that God could get the glory. You can say, I'm foolish. I'm not wise. I'm not this. I I don't know enough. Yes, that's why I chose you. So that when people get healed, when people get set free, when people get saved, they will glorify God and not the main man in the front of the church. Amen. Amen? You see, those walls came down. By them marching around them for seven days, blowing trumpets, and then shouting at the walls. Now, if you came up with that strategy in a church board as a pastor, you'd be fired. The thing with that march is, on seven days, they were not allowed to talk to each other all that time. That was one of the conditions. Because murmuring dilutes and destroys. Instead of saying, is, is Joshua out of his mind? What is he doing? They just did it. By faith. And God came through. You see, He wanted to show them that the victory would not be won by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now last week, if we can have this clip, I... I mentioned that I'm going to be preaching on that this week, and I want to show you how this all ties up. Just a little 16 minutes of me on the screen. 16 seconds. Okay, that's enough for me. So, I say that, I've been sitting on, let me tell you how prophetic ties up. There are guys around the world that I I have uh, helped in overseeing churches as part of the apostolic team, Brian travels with me often, others have done that, and we are constantly texting backwards or whatever if we sense something that God is saying something for them. We are out of the context, we don't know what's going there. It could be a little key, it could be nothing, but that's how we operate all over the world. And so I want to tell you, number one, you might say that's just a little word, but you know, if I want to open that door, I can bash on it all day, and it more than likely won't open. But if I had a little key, and those little keys form... A narrative. So I want to show you a key of my friend Dave Hagar. He's a very prophetic um, guy that has a church in Melbourne. And he says this without knowing what I spoke about on Sunday or where we go. Mike, whilst praying for Oceanside this morning, this was Tuesday morning this last week, I felt Zechariah 4 burning. For your guys. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Trust in God to move major mountains for you and Oceanside. Love Dave Hagar. So I'm going, wow, 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 Dave. Well, Dave now thinks he's on par with um, Isaiah as a prophet. But can you imagine the faith that rises up for us as a church? This season, that is going to be, in a sense, a mantra. You put it on your fridge, you put it in your car. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We want to see an increase of the spirit and the anointing of God breaking chains. We want to see people addicted, not having to go uh, three, four, five years, ten years to get free, and God blessed them for trying, and I could have and should have been one of those. I grew up a really um, outside of God's plan, um, my plan for God, and God say, saved me. But we want to see people with depression, oppression, whatever it is, all of these things, come to the, into the church and be set free by the power of the Spirit of God. And we need to understand this businessman. It's not by might, it's not by your clever deals, it's not all of that. God blesses you, He causes the rain to shine, and it's by in and through His Spirit. And the way He gets our attention is sometimes it's turning off the tap. And I'm not wanting him or saying he'll do that. It's happened to me. I was in business too. Oh God, please help me. <laughs> you know? It's by His Spirit. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. And Jim, we're going to do that—the the the, the bottles at the—we're going to do that at the end, the bottle thing. Yeah. Jen's here from she oversees um, crisis pregnancy center. It's baby bottle day, and uh, I'm just so blessed to have you, and so many people saving lives. ask, Jen, it's my passion. It's my passion to see little babies grow up uh, and, and moms make good choices and to see moms who have made bad choices healed and restored, set free. It's gone. God has forgiven you. If He can forgive you, give you for one little fib, He can forgive you for murder or rape or anything of that. I've sat with a person, I sat with a guy and I got a... Uh, he was worrying me a bit, and so I got to manage to get a profile of this guy. Byron and them were in the church. Well, a few people, and the guys told me that he had the same profile as Jeffrey Domler. he done his time, all of that. They just said, "Be careful." I sat down with the elders and said, "We are going to love this guy. We're going to bring him through." One year, he never came into the building. We we're in the Roxy. Without somebody checking him out, he knew that. He wanted to get free. He didn't want to be in that place. And one Sunday night, we started praying for him, and we emptied the church because he started manifesting like you can't believe. Everybody bolted. I wanted to bolt myself, but I was leading, so I couldn't. (laughs) Cast those demons out of that man. Cast them out. Broke the power. I don't know where. He was a good man. He had just been overwhelmed. And I'm not, I don't even know what he, he did. It was paid for with the state and all of that. But he was set free. Set free. And I pray. I, another guy I used to visit in uh, Wilkinson, in, uh, in Brandon Lake here, the nice uh, country club um, place on that lake here. Eh? Come to African jail, <laughs> and um, he got out of jail. Came to the church for a while, and then disappeared. He was—he skinhead, tattoos, eyes tattooed. Or he was—I told the church we were in McGur school there. Were you there when? Anyway, don't you dare say anything. Because if anybody's going to leave, it's going to be you. Because God loves this man, I'd spend time with him. I've been in solitary down there; they let me go and see him there. Uh, he was a career criminal. The reason he 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 was that in his forties was because when he got out, he could not get a job. Nobody would trust him. Nobody would hire him, and so he had to do crime to get back. Especially in winter, he did it because I said, "Hey, are you happy you're coming out?" He said, "I." I don't know what I'm going to do, but we, he came, and we tried to help him for a while, and then he moved on. He moved to Kelowna. I didn't know this. He just lost. He's living in the, in the bush on the Lake ok- Okanagan there, and uh, this guy comes dro- jogging past uh, and says, hey, hi, how are you doing? So he says, I know that accent. My pastor's South African. Are you South African? This guy. He said, Yeah. And so then this guy says, Is his name Mike Graves? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, what's going on here? (laughs) He had freaked him out. (laughs) The guy's got your number because he was a mate of mine. And God loves. I love that man. I don't know where he is, but God knows. We've got to be a place of acceptance. Not throwing our brains out the window and not being wise, but we want the Spirit of God moving. Amen? So, we pick up in verse 6 of Zechariah 4. And we see here Israel is in a bad place. The exile is over, but they've come back to a desperate situation. And Zerubbabel, Zechariah, which means Jehovah remembers, goes to Zerubbabel, who's been commissioned not only to help rebuild the city, but also now to build the temple. He's sitting and looking at this mess, thinking of the glory of Jerusalem before the exile thinking of Solomon's temple, not knowing what to do, more than likely as the leader, not speaking to anybody about it because that causes discouragement. The people could see it, but when they see the leader discouraged, and then a prophet comes and he says to Zerubbabel this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then you will bring out the capsule to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple, and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the days of small things or small beginnings? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So many um, preachers in that there. These were hard times. Seventy years of exile. Exiles returned. And they included these two prophets and a governor, Haggai, Zechariah, and Zerubbabel, the governor, who has made the governor. They found a temple in ruins, the walls broken down, the temple destroyed, their houses gone and broken in ruins, and they began to rebuild the city, a task so huge that they soon became overwhelmed, bewildered, and discouraged. They remembered Jerusalem and Solomon's temple in its former glory, and in the midst of this despair, God commissions Zerubbabel. With the task of not only rebuilding the city, but also the temple. A task that looked like an insurmountable mountain. And this is what happened. The enemy used their discouragement and their circumstance to sow doubt, doubt, and fear into their lives. And he did this for one reason. I want you to apply these things for yourself. The enemy wanted to take the eyes, the gaze of God, and put it on the circumstance. You see, every battle we're in as born-again believers is spiritual. It's by my spirit. And when we fight out physical battles in the flesh, we always Lose, because their enemy is the king of the flesh, and he took their eyes. Big issues. I know people here are, are facing right now. Big issues. Well, I've got to do more. I've got to do this. Yes, you may have to do that. There are seasons when we work more or less, but it's by his spirit. He causes the rain to 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 fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, he says. And by doing that, taking the eyes of God and putting it on this mountain that was so big in front of them, this ruined place, no finances, he did that so that he could rob them of their inheritance. Took the eyes of God, this struggle became bigger and bigger in their minds, the battles of the minds. But God knew, I called you to do that, Zerubbabel, and it's not in your own strength, but through me. And He reminds them, in that scripture, not by might nor by power, He reminds them that the battle was not theirs in the beginning. It was never their battle, it's always the Lord's. He's our Father. Let me tell you, I've told my sons, and one of my sons has been on a bit of a walkabout, and I love him dearly, but I've told him over and over, I don't care where you are in the world, I can get to you within 24 to 36 hours. I don't care. I don't even have to get in a boat. I can get in a plane and find you. God loves you more than, or me, more than often I love myself. He loves us. Why would He not see to it? If we fight in the wrong battles, He will show us. And we do. We've got to choose our battles. But He needs to show us through the power of the Spirit. And then we need to do what we can do. And having done all else, the Bible says, simply stand and trust God through these things. Because discouragement is the biggest way that the enemy contains your effectiveness for the kingdom, I believe, one of them. I've been through it. You've been through it. And you see, these mountains of doubt, fear, discouragement, and unbelief could not be removed in their own strength because they were spiritual and not physical. That these battles were no match, but these battles were no match to the power of God. The reality is we all face mountains, some small and some mighty mountains, and some both. But it's when we take our eyes of Jesus, they become bigger than God. They overwhelm and discourage us and hinder us from running the race marked out, out for us. But when we do what Hebrews twelve does, tells us, one, two, three, talking about just spoken about the heroes of our faith. In twelve, in verse 11, in chapter eleven, he goes on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, get rid of the baggage, the sin, the, all of these things. Get rid of it. It's like running a race with a knapsack, unforgiveness, full of rocks. Chuck that backpack away, or give it to Jesus because he cares for us. And it takes time. It's not a one-off process. Sometimes you've got to do it every God, I give you this, I give you this, I give you this, I give you this. But you remind yourself that God wants us to be unhindered by sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race marked out for us. It's not like a marathon where everybody's together and you bump each other and you go on. It's like a race with a track and there's lines. Run in your track. Do what I've called you to do. Don't switch lanes and try and be something you're not meant to be. If I've called you to to be an encourager, don't try and be a prophet because they sometimes aren't very encouraging. But it sounds more fun. Yes, you can have the gift of prophecy run your race. Look after the poor if you've got mercy. Look after children. Do that. Run your race with pride, not with a, a pride saying, God, I'm doing this for you. You know that you know that you know when you're in your lane. You know that. It feels good. It could be serving coffee, standing at the door. You know. Oh, but God, I'm only this. Well, let me tell you, that is what God's called you to do. Be the best that, and you do not know who walks in that door, that your life can transform like that. And you're saying, God, what am I doing? You're doing what I called you to do. Run your race. The sin of comparison is killing the church. My job is not what it's all made out to be. But I do it because God's called me to, and I find the pleasure of God when I do it. And that's what I want. And if it's a doorkeeper in the house of God, or like the sparrows right near the altar where they would stay, do it and do it well. Because then you do your job and I do my job, it's like hockey, the, the playoffs now. If the cameraman didn't rock up tonight, there would be riots in those cities. But he's thinking, man, I'm not like Stamkos. I'm just a Zamboni driver. Man, I would like to be him. Heaven help him if that, right, that ice is not flat. There'll be pucks going through the head and into all over that. We know what's important when it's missing. The person that cleans the toilets, there's 10,000 people there. Imagine, I'm not, just not going to do that. No toilet paper today. 100 beers and no toilet paper. That guy would be very important to you. That's like the kingdom. That's like the kingdom. It's important to him, the race model. And how do we run this race? Uh, <laughs> I was asked... This morning, how many pages do you want of the sermon? He says, it's, it's come up as 32 pages. So don't worry. I'm going to finish here. I call those other pages the musings of a searching pastor. Who for the joy, how do we run this? By fixing our eyes, not on circumstance, but on Jesus on Jesus, we take those thoughts captive. We look at Jesus, the King of glory. We we read His Word. We see what He says. We see what He did. We hear Him. We love Him, who is not only the author of our faith. He gives us the seed of faith to even believe in Him, but He is the perfecter of it, He perfects us. And when we go through trials, like Zerubbabel in that, when they begin to look up, not by might, and this begins to happen, they grow spiritually again. And what the enemy wanted for harm becomes good, because we're better, stronger, more humble, and God can use us more for the kingdom. Consider him endured such hardship and opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Grown weary and losing heart, discouragement. Most people are taken out by those. It's not the big battles. And we need to come back to that. You see, the, not, the issue is not whether we will go through mountains face mountains God himself said those mountains will be removed God said it so it's not a negative confession it's been sane. how you do my brother I'm blessed and not to tell him all prosperous to be envied and all of that but I'm dying of cancer I understand that but hey man I need help I'm sick I'm lost, I'm lonely, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. Hey, I need help. Can you help me? And as I help you and you get well and you help me and I get well, we get encouraged. We're trying to do all this stuff. Finances, all of this. Trying to think that we all got it together. You see, it's not The mountains—that's the issue. It's how we respond to them, and if we can respond in the way and try to, that's why God says, "Come to my throne of grace every day." That's why we have a quiet time—not because He's got a. Imagine if there's a book in heaven. Oh, Mike missed his quiet time. He's going to get two more tomorrow. He wants relationship, Dad. I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm lost, I'm bankrupt, I'm, I'm an addict, I'm all of this. Dad, can you help me? And he says, I'm going to put you in community where you won't be judged and be helped. And We get that, and we rely on the Spirit of God. We're going to see heaven break loose. We might see a few big mountains but we look above the mountain. In fact, even better, we go and stand on the mountain and we look up. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Um, we're going to have Jen uh, come up and speak about the baby bottles, a very important thing, and we're going to worship um, this guy with some worship. Can I ask you this? If we could have some of the leaders, if you need prayer, you no, know, God gives grace to the humble and re- resists the pride. It takes humbling to say, hey, I've messed up. I need help. But the responsibility on the one that you tell that to is bigger than yours. Because what they do with that can create all consequences in people's lives. And so I'm asking, if you need prayer, Please come forward. And if you as a priesthood of all believers are part of this church, you can come and stand with your brothers and sisters. Put your hand upon them. Love them. And maybe follow up with them in the week. We will see change in this place. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Jen.